Did you know that Kimberly Clark's subsidiary was granted an extremely rare British royal warrant by Queen Elizabeth II? Sit back and relax to find out about this and a slew of other fascinating details about Kimberly Clark, a favorite amongst many dividend growth investors. What's up everybody, Gen X Dividend Investor here. Today in my 14th stock reveal video, I'll be doing a deep analysis of Kimberly Clark, my 12th largest dividend stock by portfolio value of the 25 I own. That means that after this I only have 11 stocks to go until my full dividend investing portfolio is shown. Keep watching to see screenshots of the dividend checks I received from AbbVie and Colgate-Palmolive since my last reveal video. And I have a favor to ask you. Can someone become my Facebook ambassador and post this video in a dividend group there? I should probably just get an account, but if one of you kind souls could step up and do that, I'd really appreciate it. I'm pretty sure Zuck would like to know about how the magic of dividends can help you achieve fire. Clearly he needs help, as he hasn't retired yet. And please obliterate that thumbs up button. And if you are evil and don't want to watch my entire video, then check out the timestamps in the description below to jump straight to my portfolio. That's assuming you can live with yourself for doing that. Finally, if you'd like to attend a live chat with me when I reveal my next stock in my portfolio, then come check out my channel on Fridays at 5pm Pacific Time. Thank you all so much, especially to my subscribers and partners, and to YouTube for giving us this great platform to share our thoughts on. Okay, now it's time for some deep analysis. Kimberly Clark, ticker KMB, is a 147-year-old, $18 billion revenue, $45 billion market cap American multinational personal care corporation with over 40,000 employees that make some of the world's most renowned products, including Kleenex tissues, Scott & Cottonelle toilet paper, Kotex feminine wipes, and Huggies diapers each of which is its own billion-dollar brand. The company is also the market leader in healthcare products such as face masks, surgical gowns, and sterilization wraps. And with its 1999 acquisition of SafeSkin, Kimberly Clark is the number one producer of examination gloves. Bend over! Their products are used by one quarter of the world's population. I think it's great when you love the products of a company you invest in. I have two kids, so I've changed my share of diapers and Huggies were one product we often bought. Of course, we still buy Kleenexes today. You really know a company is dominant if its brand is used when speaking of the product in normal conversation. For example, if I say, can you pass me a Kleenex please? No one would think twice and would just hand me whatever tissue is by them. It speaks to how dominant that brand has become. Kimberly Clark is a dividend aristocrat with 47 years of consecutive dividend increases meaning they're only three years away from being one of only 27 companies in the world that are prestigious dividend kings. They sell their products both to businesses and to consumers in 150 countries and have manufacturing operations in 41 countries, so they are truly a global brand. I feel they're a great way to get international exposure without having to deal with an ADR. They are so dominant that they hold the number one or number two position for their various products in 80 countries. They also have a strong legacy of innovation. In fact, they created five of the eight major product categories they compete in. Now, Kimberly Clark has three business segments. Number one is their personal care segment, which is where Huggies, Pull-Ups, Kotex, and related products reside. Number two is consumer tissue, which holds Kleenex, Scott, Cottonelle, Viva, and others. And number three is KCP, which stands for Kimberly Clark Professional. KCP partners with businesses to create workplaces that are healthier, safer, and more productive through a range of solutions and supporting products such as wipes, 
tissues, towels, apparel, soaps, and sanitizers. Okay, let's review who the significant institutional holders of Kimberly stock are. The top institutional shareholder of Kimberly Clark is once again the Vanguard Group, holding 28 million shares worth $3.7 billion. So you can see that the folks that know a lot more about investing than I do invest in Kimberly Clark. We then see that BlackRock and State Street are the next two largest holders. We see that the largest insider is Mr. Agarwal, their president, with about 48,000 shares. That means the shares drip almost $200,000 a year. He has worked at Kimberly Clark for 11 years, and before that he was an exec at Pepsi. And then we see my piddly amount, relatively speaking, of 541.6 shares. By the way, an interesting data point I found in their 10K is that there are only 19,734 holders of record of their common stock. I thought that was pretty cool that I'm one of only about 20,000 people out there that own Kimberly Clark. Okay, let's look into their key competitors. Kimberly Clark has a variety of competitors as their products cover many different areas in the personal care and household products consumer segment. I couldn't find a chart ranking their top competitors by revenue, so I put this one together. So this list is converted into dollars because some of these companies list their revenues in their own currency. What we see is that Procter & Gamble is number one at $68 billion in annual revenues. Number two is Unilever, a British-Dutch company with $56 billion in revenues. Number three is L'Oreal, a French company at $30 billion. Number four is Henkel, a German company at $22 billion. Number five is Kimberly-Clark at $18.5 billion. Number six is Reckitt Benkisser Group, a British company at $16 billion. And number seven is a company I've already done a video for, Colgate-Palmolive, at $15.5 billion. So I wanted to find a competitor that had some powerful household brands that Kimberly-Clark competes directly with. So Kimberly-Clark has Kotex, and this competitor has both Playtex and Stayfree in North America. This company also owns Schick Razors in the U.S. and Wilkinson Sword in Europe. I hadn't heard of Wilkinson Sword, but apparently it is known in the U.K. and Germany, amongst others. They also own Hawaiian Tropic and Banana Boat, both popular suntan lotions. They also have Wet Ones Hand Wipes, which probably everyone has seen in various stores out there. They also have Edge Shaving Gels, primarily for men, and they own Skintimate Gels for women. So what's your guess? Is it someone big like Procter & Gamble? Nope, they didn't make the top seven in terms of annual revenue. So who is it? Well, have you ever heard of a six billion revenue company called Clorox? I have, but it's not them. I thought it would be interesting to introduce you to a public company that doesn't have a dividend and you probably haven't heard of, even though you have no doubt used or heard of their many brands. So they're not in the same league of Kimberly-Clark in terms of revenue, but they definitely are a competitor. So who is it? A spin-off company of Johnson & Johnson, maybe? Nope, it's called Edgewell Personal Care, ticker EPC. Honestly, have you heard of Edgewell Personal Care? They are a $1.7 billion market cap, $2 billion revenue American consumer products company that was formed following the corporate split of a company called Energizer Holdings. You know, the company with the Energizer bunny. I thought it would be useful to give you a brief overview of the consumer staple sector that both Kimberly-Clark and Edgewell Personal Care compete in. Saying that, I thought it would be useful to clarify a distinction between sectors and industries, as I always incorrectly use those words interchangeably, even though they aren't the same. So the economy and the stock market are organized into 11 sectors, one of which is consumer staples, and then within sectors are various unique industries, of which there are 69 total. 
Sectors are groupings of companies that have similar economic characteristics. Industries allow us to categorize companies that are like one another. The largest sector is information technologies worth 8.3 trillion, then financials at 7.1 trillion, healthcare at 5.6 trillion, consumer discretionary at 5.4 trillion, communication services at 4.6 trillion, and then is consumer staples at 3.6 trillion. Consumer staples are products that are essential for everyday use in your household. Because they are essential, they are non-cyclical and are generally able to maintain stable growth regardless of the state of the economy. I find that very appealing, knowing that something I'm investing in is needed and regardless if we are in a bull market or in a bear market. So just like how my utility, Southern Company, delivers a service that you need in all market conditions, so too are companies like Kimberly-Clark. And I want to make sure you understand what I mean when I say non-cyclical. It means a business or stock that isn't materially affected by the economy. So think of pharmaceutical stocks or simple food stocks. You always have to take your meds and you always have to eat. So those types of businesses are non-cyclical. When I talk about consumer staples, just think of things you buy that you need regardless if you have a job or if you don't. Like toilet paper, or soap, or food, or etc. These are things that people are probably not going to reduce their demand for when times are tough because they're basic needs, which often makes them safe investments. Interestingly, beer and tobacco are considered staples. So consumer staple stocks are also called defensive, recession resistant, or recession proof. As we move into bear markets, or the belief that we will soon have bear markets, people sometimes invest in stocks that continue to deliver constant returns. Conversely, if we're in a bull market, then investors tend to want to chase whatever is flying, so they will leave defensive stocks so they can get on the faster moving gravy train. So consumer staples aren't your volatile growth stocks. These are your steady eddies that I see as de-risking my portfolio with generally safe growth. And because you do things like brush your teeth almost regardless of where you live, then you have a massive potential audience who needs your products. And not only do they need those products now and then, they need them frequently and recurringly. Blowing your nose with tissues or washing your hands with soap are daily activities, or should be. Remind me to tell my son that. And the need for consumer staples cuts across geographic region and socioeconomic levels. This predictable demand often means predictable revenue, and I love that. So consumer staples don't always do as well as growth stocks during bull markets, but when the bear comes calling, they often will decline less. Another sector you will often hear is consumer discretionary, which are products or services that you don't need but you might want, like your Tesla or your Nikes or going to Disneyland. So let's look at the Fortune 1000 to see where Kimberly Clark and Edgewell are on the list. We see that Kimberly Clark is ranked at 171 and Edgewell is at 923. Now let's jump into a brief history of Kimberly Clark. John Kimberly, the Kimberly of Kimberly Clark fame, was born in New York in 1838 and he moved with his family to Wisconsin at the age of nine. Charles Clark, born in New York in 1844, also moved to Wisconsin where he enlisted as a volunteer infantryman. He later became mayor of his town. John Kimberly, Charles Clark, and two other men met and partnered up, each contributing $7,500 per person to get enough money to buy a local paper mill. They decided on the name Kimberly Clark and Company and incorporated in 1880. Over the years, they developed a variety of innovations. One of the first was rotogravure, a procedure for printing photographs with a rotary press. The company developed cellu cotton in 1914 a cotton substitute used by the U.S. Army as surgical cotton during World War I. Army nurses used cellu cotton pads as disposable sanitary napkins, and six years later the company introduced Kotex, 
the first disposable feminine hygiene product. Kleenex, a disposable handkerchief, followed in 1924. In 1928, they went public as Kimberly Clark. During World War II, the company devoted many of its resources to the war effort and produced anti-aircraft gun mounts. The company also contracted Margaret Buell, creator of the cartoon strip Little Lulu, to promote Kleenex. In the 1950s, they expanded internationally, opening plants in Mexico, West Germany, and the UK. In 1978, Kimberly Clark introduced Huggies disposable diapers. In 1995, Kimberly Clark bought Scott Paper for almost $10 billion. They also were awarded a British Royal Warrant. These are extremely rare honors granted by the highest of British royalty to companies and tradespeople that they deem are worthy to be able to advertise that they supply their goods to the royal family. Okay, let's look at some of their current business strategies. Kimberly Clark has a variety of strategies they're pursuing. KC Strategy 2022 or Kimberly Clark Strategy 2022 are a set of strategies meant to enable balanced and sustainable growth. Their three key strategies are to, number one, grow their portfolio of their best brands. Number two, leverage cost and financial discipline to fund growth and improve margins. And number three, allocate capital to create more value enabled by strong cash flow. They have three consumer-centric growth pillar strategies, and they are to number one, elevate core businesses, which includes innovating their products, improving their marketing efforts, better managing their revenue, and ensuring execution in stores. Number two, accelerate growth in D&E markets. Those are developing and emerging markets. And they see this as their largest growth opportunity due to low category penetration and frequency of usage. Their priority markets are Latin America, China, and Eastern Europe. Number three, drive digital marketing and e-commerce. Their e-commerce has been growing in double digits and it's currently about 10% of their revenue. So they wanna do things like utilize more targeted advertising. Targeted advertising is what makes different ads show up to different people based on their habits and their demographic makeup. Targeting makes it so that I ideally don't see a Kotex ad, but instead see an ad of something I might want to purchase. They have a variety of financial objectives they would like to achieve, including growing organic sales by 1-3% to each year, increasing earnings per share by around 5% a year, and operating profit by about 4% a year, maintaining their return on invested capital at around 26%, while continuing to increase their dividend in line with earnings per share with a decent payout ratio in the low 60s. So they are also working to create more innovation in their products, are investing more in their brands, and are striving to return significant cash to their shareholders. In 2018, they initiated a strategic restructuring program to reduce their cost base by streamlining and simplifying their manufacturing supply chain and overhead organization. They expect to close or sell approximately 10 manufacturing facilities and expand production capacity at several others. They also expect to exit or divest some lower margin businesses that generate approximately 1% of their net sales. Unfortunately, they are also doing workforce reductions in the range of 5,000 to 5,500 employees, which I never like seeing speaking from a human perspective. But it looks like they're doing some decent severance packages as the cash costs are expected to be about 1 billion related to their workforce reductions. The restructuring is expected to be completed by the end of 2020 with total costs anticipated to be 1.7 to 1.9 billion pre-tax. So after 2020, I think we'll see some positive impacts to their financial metrics. Now, I normally don't go into strategies of the competitor I'm using in these videos, but this time I thought it was relevant. Edgewell is struggling a bit, and they decided to buy their direct-to-consumer competition Harry's for 1.4 billion, not just for market share, but because of Harry's expertise selling over the internet. Some older brands acquire younger internet startup competitors like Harry's so they can learn how to evolve with today's digital realities. 
It reminds me of how Unilever bought Dollar Shave Club in 2016. Okay, let's jump into the financials. There are four key financial areas I like to understand when I'm analyzing a business, and they are number one, is the company growing? Number two, can the company cover what it owes in the next year? Number three, do they have too much debt? And number four, how's their profitability? Let's start with number one. There are six main things I like to review when answering the question, is a company growing? Number one is revenue growing. Number two are earnings growing. Number three is equity growing. Number four is cash flow growing. Number five is the dividend growing. And number six is the stock price growing. So let's start with number one of six. These are their different sales by business segments. So we can see personal care is about 50% of their revenue, and then 33% is consumer tissue, and KCP is at 16%. Let's look at their revenue growth history for both Kimberly Clark and Edgewell on macrotrends.net, Guru Focus, Yahoo Finance, and Zacks. I thought I'd try something new on reporting numbers, and instead of going over each year with all the details, I'll just call out a few data points and let the visuals speak to the trends so you can get a sense of how things are going without getting too bogged down in the numbers. So we see that in 2018, Kimberly Clark had $18.5 billion in revenue, slightly over 2017, and their 2020 estimate is just a minor uptick at $18.6 billion. So in the last few years, we just see a minor upward trend. Looking at the overall trend, we can see that revenue has been pretty flat for about a decade. I like the fact that the revenue only took a relatively minor hit starting during the downturn in 08. Overall, revenue is probably staying flat due to their broad market penetration they already enjoy. But I think their strategies of going into developed and emerging economies will help drive up revenue, as will increasing their spend on digital advertising. Another macro trend that I think they will benefit from will be the increased demand for adult diapers and adult care products as the population continues to increase. Around 50% of people over 65 years and older living at home report bladder and or bowel incontinence, especially in women. Stress incontinence causes urine to leak when you laugh or cough. Looking just at the United States, approximately 13 million Americans are incontinent, 85% of whom are women. So this unfortunate reality should benefit Kimberly Clark. And the numbers are multiple times that in India and China, as they are in America, which are markets Kimberly is targeting. Incontinence currently affects 5% of men worldwide and over 12% of all women. Let's look at how geography slices up revenue. This info from Kimberly Clark shows that about 50% of their revenue comes from outside North America. So I see Kimberly Clark as a good way to get international exposure while holding an American stock. They describe their business outside of North America in two groups. Number one, developing and emerging markets, D&E, and number two, developed markets. D&E markets comprise Eastern Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, Latin America, and Asia Pacific, excluding Australia and South Korea. Developed markets consist of Western and Central Europe, Australia, and South Korea. For Edgewell's revenue, we see a step fall off around 2014, probably due to selling some business unit. And then we see a flattening and slightly downward trend post-2015, which obviously isn't good to see. Their 2018 revenue was $2.05 billion, and their 2019 estimate is $2.09 billion, which would be great if they can break out from their previous trends and get revenue growth back on a nice trajectory. Looking deeper into why the Kimberly-Clark numbers have been slowly going up, I found that their organic sales have been increasing due to higher net selling prices, led by consumer tissue. Organic sales describe the impact of changes in volume, product mix, and net selling prices on net sales. They were negatively impacted by unfavorable changes in foreign currency exchange rates. 
In North America, organic sales increased 3% in KC Professional and 1% in consumer products. Outside North America, organic sales increased 2% in D&E markets and 1% in developed markets. Kimberly-Clark recently raised their top and bottom line estimates. And remember, top line is on the top of the income statement and is the revenue, aka sales, and bottom line means the physical bottom of the income statement, which is net profit. They just released that they think they will get organic sales growth of 3-4%, slightly higher than the previous target they had released. Okay, on to number 2 of 6, our earnings growing. Let's look at their operating profit by segment before we look at their trends. We see a similar profit breakdown ratio that we saw in revenue by segment, with personal care being the largest profit segment, followed by tissue and then KCP. I expect that after 2020, we will see the corporate and other segment expenses to be reduced. Let's look at KMB's net income trending over time and compare that to Edgewell's. So, like I did for revenues, I'll just look at their trends visually. KMB's looks okay, with a big increase year over year ending at $2 billion, and I'd imagine once their optimization strategies play out, they will be doing even better. Their gross margin is up 260 basis points, and gross profit is up 9%, and their operating profit is up 8%. Their cost-saving strategies are helping their bottom line with 2019 year-to-date savings of $300 million. For reference, a basis point is always equal to 1 one-hundredth of a percent, or 0.01%. So if something is raised by 100 basis points, that means it was raised by 1%. So if the Fed rate was 2% and they raised it to 2.25%, then that means they raised it 25 basis points. I don't like what I'm seeing with Edgewell's net income trends is they've had multiple years of negative net income, most recently at negative 35 million, which is a loss, which means expenses exceeded sales. Okay, on to number three of six, is equity growing? Kimberly Clark's shareholder equity for 2018 was minus 0.046 billion, or a 105.2% decline from 2017. EPC's shareholder equity for 2018 was 1.7 billion, a 5% increase over 2017. Let's dig into Kimberly-Clark's equity to see what we can find out. So we see gross profit and operating profit drop from 2017 to 2018, and their income from continuing operations dropped year over year as well. So I'm hopeful that their cost-cutting and efficiency measures, along with their growth strategies, all help address things as they kick into higher gear. Okay, let's move on. So number four of six, is cash flow growing? To answer the question, is a company growing? Please watch my Southern Company video if you want to learn more about cash flow. I created these graphs from Morningstar's free cash flow data. We see that both of them have had volatile free cash flow rather than a continually increasing trend. Kimberly Clark, cash provided by operations was 886 million, up compared to 692 million from a year ago, due to improved working capital and lower pension contributions. Okay, let's move on to number five of six, is the dividend growing? As I mentioned, Edgewell doesn't have a dividend, so this is Kimberly Clark's data. KMB has a nice smooth dividend history, which makes sense since this is the 85th consecutive year they've paid a dividend and the 47th of the consecutive annual increase, both of which are incredible. They've paid over $12 billion in cash dividends in the last decade, so they definitely value dividends. We also see that the dividend was $3.36 a share in 2014 and is $4.12 now. Their three-year dividend compound growth rate is 4.4%. Their 5-year is 4.5%, and their 10-year dividend compound growth rate is 5.8%. So lower than I normally like to see. Their dividend yield now is a healthy 3.11%. 
Their 10-year yield on cost is at 4.68%, their 15-year is at 7.24%, and their 30-year is at 16.88%. So all these are a tad low for my normal preference, but I still like Kimberly-Clark for the relative security and stability. Online I found their payout ratio to be about 60%. And as always, don't use any of these numbers to make investing decisions, and double check all info I present. Okay, this data comes from a Kimberly-Clark presentation, and they show how nicely their dividend has grown, from $2.40 a share in 2009 to almost double that 10 years later. We also see how their dividend payout has trended nicely based on adjusted EPS. The presentation said that in Q3 their dividends and share repurchases totaled approximately $570 million, and that they expected a full year total spend of $2.2 billion. In 2014, Kimberly-Clark's Board of Directors authorized a share buyback program of 40 million shares not to exceed 5 billion. This chart shows where they are and the price they feel is worth buying, which is data I love to see. So their average price they're paying is around $110 and have purchased about 1.8 million shares so far this year. Under the program they have purchased around 24 million of the 40 million shares allowed, which means they can still buy back another 16 million shares under this approval. Let's see how their shares outstanding have trended over time. So CAMB went from 480 million shares outstanding to 350 million, a 27% reduction over 13 years. That's awesome. EPC went from 68 million to 54 million, a 21% reduction. Also great to see. Kimberly-Clark is using their excess cash flow for share repurchases and have bought about $10 billion worth of shares in the last decade. This year they are targeting between $600 million to $900 million in buybacks. So I really like Kimberly-Clark's nice gradual trend continually going down as opposed to EPC's more wild trendline ride. Finally, number six of six is the stock price growing to help us answer the question, is a company growing? Let's look at total returns of Kimberly-Clark compared to Edgewell and to the S&P 500 using Dividend Channel's Total Returns Drip Calculator. So this models what would have happened if you invested $10,000 around 24 years ago and had used a drip. We see that with Kimberly-Clark, your investment would have grown up to about $88,000, which is a 783% return. And close to it would have been the S&P 500, which would have gotten you to $84,000, or about a 740% return. EPC does not fare nearly as well, taking you only to about $19,000, which is an 87% return. Okay, let's move on. So number two, can the company cover what it owes in the next year? which is asking if it can cover its short-term debt obligations. I like to use the current ratio to determine that. It's important to compare ratios in the same industry due to fluctuations in what is normal. A ratio higher than one indicates that a company will have a high chance of being able to pay off its shorter-term debt, whereas a ratio of less than one indicates that a company may not be able to pay off its shorter-term debt. So the higher the ratio, the more liquid the company is. I like to see ratios between 1.5 and 3%. We see that Kimberly-Clark's current ratio is 0.75 compared to an industry median of 1.58, meaning it is ranked lower than 89% of its competitors. We see that EPC's current ratio is 1.58 compared to the equivalent industry median of 1.58. So I like more of what I see in EPC here. The number three main item I like to look at when analyzing a business is if it has taken on too much debt using the debt to equity ratio. Normally I'd look at debt to equity, but because the equity went negatively recently, I'm not going to bother because the ratios will be wonky. What we could do is an adjusted debt to equity to take out the effect of share repurchases they're doing. However, for the sake of trying to cut down the time on these videos, I'll leave that exercise to you, if you're so inclined. Okay, let's see if we think they can cover their interest payments. 
So let's see if EBIT is at a reasonable level. Looking at their latest EBITs on macro trends, we see that Kimberly-Clark's EBIT is at 2.9 billion and EPC's is negative 300 million. Negative EBIT is something I don't like to see because it generally means that there aren't enough earnings to cover any expenses. I normally like to see EBIT greater than or equal to three times net interest, and I find that KMB is covered. Also of note, KMB's operating margin, aka its EBIT margin, is up 110 basis points. Okay, the number four final main item I like to look at when analyzing a business is to understand its profitability. Now, while I normally like to look at ROE, given their negative equity, let's look at ROI, another common metric used when analyzing returns. Return on investment is a performance measure used to evaluate the efficiency of an investment. ROI tries to directly measure the amount of return on a particular investment relative to the investment's cost. To calculate ROI, the benefit or return of an investment is divided by the cost of the investment. The result is expressed as a percentage or a ratio. So ROI is the current value of the investment minus the cost of the investment divided by the cost of the investment. So here we see Kimberly Clark's ROI is at a really nice 32.15%, which is great. Okay, let's look at return on assets. Return on assets is a measure of profitability. It tells us how efficiently a company is squeezing profit from their assets. Return on assets is a measure of how well a company takes all the money it has and uses that money to make more money. It's a metric which is used to calculate management's effectiveness to understand how much profit a company earns for every dollar of its assets. ROAs over 5% are generally what I like to look for. The higher the ROA, the higher the asset efficiency. Here we see that Kimberly Clark's ROA is a great 13.5% versus the industry median 2.7%, which means they're better than 89% of their competitors. We also see that Edgewell's ROA is negative 9.54, which ranks it lower than 89% of their industry. Not so good. A negative return occurs when a company has a financial loss or poor returns on an investment during a specific period of time. In other words, the business loses more money than it brings in and experiences a net loss. A negative return can be referred to as negative return on equity. Okay, the next profitability metric we'll look at is net margin. I like the net profit margin because it's a decent metric and just a single figure to gauge how effectively management is running the business. Net profit margins vary depending on the type of industry you're in. Watch my previous videos for more details. We see that Kimberly Clark's net margin is a great 10.96% versus the industry median which is only at 2.96% and they are ranked higher than 84% of their competitors. Conversely, we see EPC's net margin is negative 16.44%. I interpret that as meaning that the money they are making from selling their products and services is not enough to cover the cost of making or selling those products and services. Not good, and something I'd dig into if I was thinking of investing in them. Okay, let's move from their financials to community involvement, charitable giving, and their environmental, social, and governance work, along with any special entities they might support. Over the years, Kimberly Clark has become much more sustainable and are on a better corporate path. In the early 80s, Kimberly-Clark's production methods caused some chemical runoff issues into a local bay in Canada. They realized they needed to improve, so they spent 25 million Canadian to change their bleaching processes and other of their processes to become more eco-friendly. In the early 2000s, Greenpeace launched a campaign against Kimberly-Clark because they weren't fond of their logging practices. So Kimberly-Clark adopted a new environmental policy that promoted more forest conservation and a greater use of recycled fibers for their tissue products. So Kimberly-Clark has transitioned from being more reactive to being proactive and are committed to improving the communities they work and live in. They've created a multi-year strategy, which they call Sustainability 2022, to act as their framework to help achieve their commitments. 
They have set ambitious goals in a variety of areas, such as in their social impact, energy usage, recycling, and a slew of other categories. They have goals like reducing their greenhouse gas emissions by 20%, reducing their tissue product natural forest footprint by 2025, and improving the well-being of 25 million people in need. I think it's awesome when companies have documented goals which they share broadly, and even more important that they're doing it in the first place. It really shows you about the culture of the company and the mindset and priorities of their executives. Awesome. Okay, let's move on to their executive leadership team. Now the average tenure across their global leadership team averages around 11 years, which is great. Their new CEO as of January 2019 is Matt Shu. He is known as a leader with passion and vision who served in a variety of roles for the seven years he's been there, including COO. He was also an exec at Kraft Foods, Heinz, and was a partner at Booz Allen and Hamilton. He actually got his bachelor's degree at my alma mater, Carnegie Mellon. Go Tartans! Okay, one way we can assess the CEO is on how his stock has done since he's taken office. Here we see Kimberly Clark in black, EPC in blue, and SPY in purple. We see that KMB and SPY have performed almost identically, but EPC is underperformed. Okay, let's jump into concerns and risks. Now, there are a variety of risks that I feel it's important to be aware of. Kimberly Clark is highly reliant on cellulose fiber for their products. That's fiber from trees or that is recycled from waste paper. They use this fiber in their diapers, tissues, feminine pads, and incontinence care products. Thus, if fiber commodity prices go up or supplies constrain, then that can impact Kimberly Clark. A map for a risk I'm concerned of is that I wonder if brands will become increasingly less important to consumers and only price will matter. If so, then things could get challenging, though they have set up a decent supply chain, so maybe they can still flourish. They are also impacted by changing energy and transportation costs. Thus, if they don't correspondingly increase their own prices, then their financial health can be impacted. Like most companies, they're at risk for changing regulations. They also face some litigation risk. There is a legal proceeding you might want to look into with their former healthcare business, Avenos Medical, which is about a class action relating to some sale of surgical gowns. Another risk Kimberly Clark is subject to are interest rates. Their interest rate risk is managed through the maintenance of a portfolio of variable and fixed rate debt composed of short and long term instruments. Overall economic growth has an impact on them. They do better in growing economic conditions. Currency fluctuations is another thing which adds risk and variability into their equation. Cybersecurity issues can impact their systems, which can have cascading impacts to them. And of course, they face constant competition from others that are seeking to outdo them. So big question, is it worth buying at today's price? I'm going to focus on Kimberly Clark's metrics for this is it worth buying section as a way to shorten these videos. But please comment below or DM me if you'd prefer me to continue analyzing the competitor all the way through in my future videos. So let's look at the results from the DCF calculator on Guru Focus to see what it estimates. We see that Kimberly Clark has a fair value of $62.39 versus its stock price of $132.52 which means a large negative margin of safety. So it's overpriced based on this calculator. Let's look at how their PEs have trended over time. Watch my previous videos to learn about some nuances of PE and what I expect to see in different sectors. My generic rule of thumb is I get more compelled to buy when PEs are under 15. Seeing a company's PE over time is another quick way I like to check if it's getting pricey or not. Here we see that Kimberly Clark's PE is at 22.7 worse than their industry median of 19.7 and about the same as the average PE of the S&P 500 at 22. Their forward PE looks better at 18.35. Watch my AbbVie video if you want to learn some more about the S&P 500 PE ratios. 
Okay, another final trend that you might want to look into is how their dividend yield has trended over time as an input into your buying decisions. Here are the last 10 years of dividend yield trends for Kimberly-Clark. Kimberly has a decent dividend yield of 3.11%. Remember, yield is their annual dividend that they pay out divided by share price. So if this line is flat, then it's one indicator that its relative value has stayed flat when looking at this metric in isolation. If the line trends downhill, then it probably indicates that it's getting pricier, and if it trends up, then it indicates that it's potentially becoming more of a value play worth considering. It will have a tendency to trend up if they increase their annual dividend payout or if the share price goes down. It will trend down if the share price goes up relative to the dividend payout. So the ideal is to buy when the yield is high and then see the line trend down because its share price is going up after you buy it. Of course, if the share price goes down, then your drip can buy more shares. And that's one of the things I love about investing in quality dividend companies. If your stocks go up, you're happy. If they go down, you get more buying power because your dividend has probably kept its buying power, so you're still happy. What really matters is if your number of shares is increasing and the dividend is increasing. I had someone DM me today and asked me if I was going to sell any of my Home Depot because its stock just went down. I can tell you a quick way to tell if someone is an investor or not is how they would answer that question. Investors hold or buy more when businesses they like drop in stock price. Remember, price of a stock is not the same as its value. So if the market's voting machine caused your stock to fall, you need to understand if your business's fundamentals have changed. And if not, and you have a long-term mindset, then who cares? So between the share price and annual dividend changes, the relative value of Kimberly-Clark has been staying fairly constant. Also remember that Edgewell doesn't have a dividend. Okay, let's look at what the analysts at MarketBeat say about Kimberly-Clark. We see that Kimberly-Clark's consensus rating today is a buy. The consensus rating six months ago was a hold. The price today is $132.52, and the consensus price target today is $138.36, and the consensus price target six months ago was $118.94. So that means that analysts think that Kimberly-Clark is underpriced today with a 4.41% upside. Let's look at recent insider trading. Here we see a variety of transactions by their officers and directors. Nothing jumps out as disconcerting to me. Please watch my Southern Company video if you want to learn more about how to read a Form 4 dealing with insider trading. So what's a good price for Kimberly-Clark? One that I buy. Kimberly-Clark was a company I first bought in the 90s. I owned it for many years, and then for a reason I'll go into in a video in the future, I sold out and moved my money into other stocks for a while. But I decided to get back into Kimberly-Clark in October of 2018, and I'd want to see prices under $110 again to get interested. Probably around $100. While we see a bit of growth lately, it isn't enough for me to justify its current valuations. Thus, for now, I'm content to just grow my position naturally with the drip. So what do you think? Are you a bull or a bear on Kimberly-Clark? Are you going to buy, sell, or hold? Remember, don't forget to comment down below and include your partner number. With this video, I'm Partner20, because I've watched all my videos from start to end. Also, please hit that thumbs up button that helps to promote this video on YouTube, and that little effort on your part will show me you appreciate the effort it takes me to put this video together. Thanks a million. Now let's jump into my portfolio. Alright, here we are in a copy of my portfolio that lists the bottom 14 of 25 stocks in my portfolio. So we see that the consumer staples, consumer packaged goods, pie slice is at 23%, and utilities is about 13, energy is 15%, industrial is about 15, healthcare is about 12%. Consumer discretionary about eight. It used to be Disney. I renamed that sector. Financials about nine percent, and retail is about four percent. 
and let's see. Kimberly Clark, I have 541.6 shares of it. Price today closed at 132.94, which is a 42 cents increase from the previous day. You can see that it has trended up in the last year, so it's gone up. Current PE 22.77, forward PE 18.23. DDM 3667 and then the annual dividend is $4.12. The next payout date is on January 2nd and I added a new conditional in here that would turn something turquoise if it's within a week just to kind of draw my attention to it. So it is yellow if it's within the next 30 days that the pay date is going to be and then it is turquoise turquoise it's kind of blue color if it's a week out and then it is bright green if it's happening today so later on today caterpillar is going to play their dividend so i found that kind of helpful just to give me a heads up the dividend yields 3.1 percent the three-year dividend cadger is 4.4 percent the five-year is 4.5 and the 10-year is 5.8 the manual five-year div cadre that I calculated was 4.16%. The portfolio's average weighted five-year dividend cadre is 8.87%. And the portfolio's average weighted dividend yield or the starting yield of the portfolio is 3.41%. I have $72,000 of Kimberly Clark dripping $2,232 a year. So let's see, the portfolio has $505,000 in it, and it is dripping $17,229 per year, U.S. dollars. Payout ratio, 60%. Uh, has 47 consecutive years of dividend increases. So the average weighted years of increasing dividends for the portfolio is 31.34 years. The beta for Kimberly Clark is 0.52, so the portfolio's average weighted beta is now 0.81. Small market cap at 46 billion, so the portfolio's average weighted market cap so far is 113.6 billion. Okay, now let's review my AbbVie and Colgate Palmol dividends I received a few days ago. I edited out some stocks that I haven't yet revealed in these screenshots, as well as my account number. On the left is a screenshot of the dividend email I got, which I hold in my tax-sheltered IRA, and on the right is the screenshot of my taxable brokerage account dividend email. So in November, I received a total of $506.98 of AbbVie checks and $279.98 of Colgate Palmolive, both of which pay quarterly. Since I've turned on my drip for AbbVie, it bought another 5.7 shares of itself, taking me from 473.8 shares to 479.5 shares, so this dividend payout just increased my annual passive income by about $27 a quarter, or about $108 a year. Since I've turned on my drip for Colgate Palmolive, it bought another 4.2 shares of itself, taking me from 651.1 shares to 655.3 shares. So this dividend payout just increased my annual passive income by about $7.22 a quarter or about $29 a year.
And those are conservative estimates of how much my passive income will increase each year because it's compounded quarterly and because they'll probably raise their dividend each year. Okay, so if we jump into the November dividend payments, I've blacked out some of the cells of stocks that can't see yet, and we see that so far these are the payments for these stocks. Caterpillar's coming a couple days. So, so far for November for the stocks, I've revealed $786.96. And then when we look at Q4, copy of Q4 where I've blacked out some rows. We can see how I'm tracking um, the October payments and the November payments so far. And then slowly I'll take away some of this stuff I've blacked out as I keep on showing the other stocks in my portfolio. Thanks, stay awesome, and I'll see you in the next video. Remember, I'm not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments. Don't use this information without double checking it and talking to someone a lot smarter than me after you completely understand it. So I'll see you in the next video and remember to stay positive, patient, play for the long term, keep investing in great companies, budget reasonably, and win. I know you can do it. Just like I know you can hit the subscribe, like, and bell icons, share this video with others, and comment below.